Welcome to Season 3 of The Lifestyle Chase, and I'm your host, Chris Little. This podcast features high performers who have found a way to live their best life while balancing their health, wellness, friends, and family. To help this podcast grow, please share it on social media, rate five stars, tell your friends, and check out the past 140 episodes and counting. You can follow me on Instagram at Christian Little and at The Lifestyle Chase. Thanks for listening. Let's get started. All right, so welcome to The Lifestyle Chase. I am joined by the one and only Alex McBrarty. He was last on the show on episode 77. Today is episode 165. It is the very first episode where we are bringing you live, live Lifestyle Chase. It's live streamed on Instagram live. Um, Hopefully you're joining us. If you're not, stay tuned for future episodes. I can't guarantee every one of them will be live, but it is fun to play around. Uh, I'm open to feedback on what platforms you might want to have this on. But uh, now that I've finished my rambling, Alex, how are you doing today? I am doing pretty fantastic. It's a sunny day here in Ann Arbor, Michigan. It's starting to warm up a little bit. So we're coming out of hibernation. <laughs> so it's been like probably over a year since you were last on the show. Um, lots of different things have happened. But just to kind of reintroduce my guests to who you are, like if you were describing yourself in the way that you want to describe yourself the most, like so many people have to have like their, their intro. And it's like, well, I didn't really want to introduce myself that way. So if, if you had the choice, how would you introduce yourself? That is a loaded question. Ooh, that's where we're, the deep pondering is coming in now. But let's think about this for a second. So I, how would I want to be described? Um, well, first and foremost, I am an online fitness coach. And I am passionate, emphasis on the word passionate, of helping people not only transform the way they live their life, both in fitness and nutrition and all the typical online fitness coaching things, but kind of even more than that on a fundamental mindset level of bringing my background in psychology into my coaching to help people develop new perspectives and beliefs about themselves and kind of their place in this world. Um, And I do that by uh, kind of the types of conversations and things we think about with my clients, but also just in kind of trying to lead by example of taking my own weight loss journey of the 80 plus pounds I lost back in high school and in my kind of own fitness transformation and taking that into the things that I do in my own life personally, whether it be adventures or professionally or personally or whatever, kind of self-developmentally so that uh, I can walk the walk and help my clients do the same. Well, I mean, that was a solid intro. Like, the things that I reflect on when I think about you are your like psychology background, like the way that you're able to really dive down the rabbit hole with your connections with people and how you're able to level with people and like ask questions that might get different uh, outcomes. Um, but with that being said, in regards to like the year 2020, do you have any lessons that stood out to you that you wouldn't have anticipated? Like we are right now at like the anniversary for a lot of regions for like one year since uh, most gyms got like locked down since there was uh, 
restrictions in place and people's lives and businesses changed? Like, what stands out to you in in your reflection of the year two thousand twenty? For me personally, I think it would be the necessity of pursuing a purpose for ourselves. And here's what I mean by that, because that's a little ambiguous, is I was kind of very fortunate when all of the lockdowns happened almost a year ago today, at least here, um, where people were, there was a lot of uncertainty, there was a lot of what's the future going to look like, people who were sent home from work were kind of like, what do I do now, people who had to close their businesses, Uh, me at the time not being able to train people in person anymore, like, what are we going to do with just our day to day? And I think throughout the pandemic, a lot of the people who who suffered heavily kind of suffered because there was we were just there was nothing, right? It's like we're just sit and wait. We can't really do anything. We don't have any control over the situation, so it can be very kind of anxiety provoking to try to go through that and not know what's going to happen. And I feel very very fortunate of my position in that, in because my my purpose as a coach didn't change when COVID hit and didn't change when the lockdowns happened. How I did it may have changed a little bit with obviously more heavier emphasis on online stuff. But if anything, it made me more passionate and more driven in the purpose to help people take control of their health, especially in a time like now where one, health has become first and foremost on everyone's mind, right? Because obviously health and, and viruses go hand in hand together. Um. And so for me, like I, the reason I consider myself so fortunate is because I had that purpose. I I think it avoided me getting lost in the year 2020. Like I never considered myself having gotten lost. I always knew where I wanted to go. I knew I was going to be helping people as best as I could. However, that took shape over the year of 2020. But I, I woke up every morning and I knew that I had tasks to do. And I, and I think that not everyone had that opportunity because a lot of people let their health prevent them from seeing what the purposes they want for themselves and for their life. I think a lot of people end up falling into the trap of going through the motions. And when it's normal life, it's easy to distract ourselves from that fact, right? We can fill it with social activities or nights out at the bar or things that uh, basically allow us to just feel a little bit better in the moment, even though we don't really feel like we're going anywhere. And then COVID took all of those distractions away. And now we just had to sit with like, what are we doing with ourselves? You know? Yeah. Well, like, I mean that I can relate to that whole thing and just like how, when you spend time alone with your thoughts, like whether it be just like the, the shift in, in work atmosphere or the shift in like things to do, it, it makes you realize like areas that are like non-negotiable. It makes you really dial into your goals. Um, would you consider yourself someone that's fairly goal oriented or is it just like the process, like sticking to the process and like sticking to the routine that gets you, that facilitates your goals? Like when I say stuff like that, like what, what goes through your mind? So I, I would probably say I'm a little bit of both. Like I think it's important for me to know, to have goals in the sense of where am I going, right? To kind of orient myself. And I equate it to like, if I were lost in the woods and there was a mountain range to the east, that would be helpful for me to know where I'm going, right? Because then I know what direction I'm traveling. Um, But 
I would be remiss not to put a lot of heavy emphasis in the process itself, right? Because at the end of the day, I have an idea of where I want to go. And I like to say that I'm equally blessed and plagued by ambition and kind of the level that I would like to get to. And in so doing, I, to this point, have no idea how I'm going to get to the end goal, right? I have an idea, but that changes and that's changed in the past too, however long I've been doing this. Um, I mean, obviously my day-to-day tasks, my business, my program, everything about my coaching now is starkly different than where it was when I first started. So it's, the process is important for just keeping that forward momentum and the, the long-term goals help me orient to make sure that the things I'm doing on a daily basis aren't just senseless, if that makes sense. Yeah, well, when you talk about doing things day-to-day and it being senseless, like, what stands out to you as a moment when you've kind of fallen into that trap? Like, have you had a time when you're like, holy crap, I'm just basically like, my own passion project isn't the passion project that it was meant to be. I've kind of fallen complacent to my own, my own journey. Like, tell me more about that. So I have a really good example of this. I, for a period of about a year, every month developed a magazine for my email subscribers, a digital magazine. And it started before that, for the two years prior to that, it was a um, a weekly email series that had like book reviews and playlists of songs I was listening to and then like different thoughts that I would put in there about, again, mindset related stuff. And there were all these different categories and I would do that email every, uh, put it out every Sunday. I call it the Sunday Scoop um, for two years. I did that. And then as time went on, I was like, okay, this is like, it's a, it was a lot of work. It was multiple hours on the weekends to do that. And I was like, okay, is there a way that I could enhance the experience of this and save myself a little time? So I was like, I got it. I'll turn it into a digital magazine where there's more full length articles, some similar topics of stuff from that email series, but full length. Um, it they ended up being about 20 page, uh, magazines but i would just do it once a month so i'll have four weeks to chip away at it gradually it'll reduce the workload and then i'll have this beautiful kind of experience that people can go into every month and it was awesome but i learned about myself that i would not chip away at it over the course of four weeks i would save it for the last weekend of the month and i would spend double the amount of time i would have spent on emails doing the magazine and most of it was trying to find the right graphics because a magazine is a very visually appealing piece and so after a year of even more time spent on this thing and i put a, a survey out to people on my email list of you know whether they were reading it and enjoying it and what i've learned is most people were just skimming they wouldn't actually take the time to go through the whole thing which is totally understandable um and so i realized that that project became less about the content I was trying to send people and more about the design. I spent more time designing the layout and the graphics than I did the actual content itself. And that was a moment where I had to realize, okay, this totally defeats the purpose of doing it. That, right? yeah, I mean, like, people can come across that in so many different aspects. Like, I think about, uh, I am always trying to make improvements to the podcast based on people's feedback because I'm like, look, like, I can put in all the effort that I want, but 
people are only going to come to a podcast if it's good. And if I have to take their, their feedback in order to make it a good one, then that's what I have to do. Um, aside from like people saying that they're like skimming through like your, your magazine, uh, what was maybe the toughest feedback that you received? Like some of the stuff that it's like you really had to sit on for a bit. I think for me, it's interesting because I didn't really get any negative feedback about that project, which is usually the case. I think most of the time, I think people are more likely to just not give you any feedback than to give you bad feedback. Right. Especially if they like you. Um, so for me, it was the fact that I was putting so much time into it and it wasn't being consumed in the way that I had hoped. Right. Which not every project we start is going to be a winner. Right. Sometimes we got to take the L and move on. Um, and so that was obviously something that like, okay, I had this past year, how many Sundays did I give up trying to build this thing? And at the time I had a terribly slow computer where it took me multiple minutes just to put a single picture in. Now I had to sit there and wait and put it in and wait. Fortunately, I have a much faster computer now, but, um, so kind of the morning, the time spent what would I could have deemed as being wasted over the course of a year on this thing. Um, and just trying to reframe it as a learning opportunity, right? I, as a way to connect with people, obviously I, the thing that's important to me is the content. My thing with my coaching in general is giving people new perspective and new ways of thinking about themselves and about their world. And so what I do now, which is much more manageable and much more digestible for people is I do an email called the mindset Monday, which it comes out every Monday morning and it's a hundred words or less of something that I think is going to pack the biggest punch to start their week and give them really something deep to think about. Um, and that to me, I, it takes me two seconds to do one of those, especially if it's the biggest part is just make sure I keep it to a hundred words, right. And make sure it's an impactful hundred words. Um, but the open rates for that email alone are way greater than any of the other iterations of that project ever were. Right. So, uh, and that's kind of one of the things that I just, internalize both in my journey and I, I try to say this to my clients too is the losses are ultimately what allow us to get better right i forget where i heard it from but you never learn anything when you're right you just confirm what you already knew yeah i mean i i actually recently heard that somewhere too and i'm trying to remember if it was a podcast or maybe we were just like watching the same posts or or something like that but it's just you need to fail and you need to not get things like things need to not come your way. Things need to not work out. I think actually what it was like my, my example is, uh, the, the football league that the rock Dwayne, the rock Johnson owns mm -hmm. just, uh, started talking about acquiring the CFL and, uh, the rock had a short stint playing for the Calgary CFL team. And then he got cut. And so it didn't work out with the NFL. It didn't work out with the CFL. But like in, in taking these losses and not having a win, he actually like became one of the most successful actors in Hollywood. And then he in turn is able to come around and be like, hey, like I actually made a lot of progress in my life and, and this really worked out. So things like that are pretty cool. And it's just everybody when they're struggling and they're coming across roadblocks needs to remember like oftentimes the roadblock is the the ticket to that next step it's the ability to um be able to be successful and uh get a win out of like an otherwise 
like non-advantageous situation. But one thing that I have to say is that uh, you have written in a lot of publications. Like you've done a lot of different articles. You've gotten really good at it and just like getting yourself out there. And we've talked about this at length off the podcast. So that's kind of why I have that information. But give us sort of like an idea of how many different publications that you have been published in or written for. Oh, wow. Um, off the top of my head, I could, I could lay it. It's, it's laid out on my website, and I'm thinking of the grid pattern it's in. So four across, I don't know, 13, 14 different ones, I think. Um, s- some of those articles that I've written full length for, some of them I've been cited in as a source for contributing to or whatever. Um, and writing has always been kind of something near and dear to me. I think that's how one of my best forms of communication is my ability to convey through written word. And interestingly, the Mindset Monday emails is something I also adopted to help me kind of practice my writing on a different level because it's very easy for me to write a lot. And so I'm working on short. What's the biggest impact for the least amount of words? That's something I, I also struggle with. That It's very easy for me to write a lot. It's very easy for me to talk a lot. And just learning how to um, say the right things or write the right things at the right time and say them in ways that are uh, the most valuable and the most captivating. With all of that being said, what have been the things that have kind of helped you to refine your skills? Doing it a lot. I, it's, I, I think the other thing too is I tend to just be a, as you well know, a very dramatic person in general. And I will say the one caveat of writing is it doesn't really allow me the same impact of a good dramatic pause. But um, I think because I'm very dramatic, it's easy for me to, as I'm thinking about things, uh, putting that into my writing so that it has a little bit more of an emotional impact and how I do things. I also I'm, I can always get better at this, but I like to use very colorful kind of analogies. Um, one of my recent Facebook posts that I, I think you saw the other day was about comfort zone and it being kind of the opposite of pleasure. And there was kind of some very colorful prison analogy going on in there, of being held captive and stuff like that. Um, but ultimately just doing it so that you kind of learn what's good, what works, what doesn't, what sounds good. And even now I'll go back to old articles on my website because, you know, I have over a hundred different articles on my website and I go back to some of the older ones and I'm like, what was I doing? Right. So practice, practice. So for, I might have some new trainers listening to this episode. Somebody brand new to the industry just got certified. They've never written for anything, or it could be even an experienced person that just, hasn't thought about getting their work published. They might've done it on their own website, but they haven't put it anywhere else. Can you kind of give them some words of wisdom for how they might get their start, how they might get their name out there or how they might just like put out their first, uh, their first effort. Yeah. So uh, I guess two things in particular, one is more of a, I guess they're both technically strategies. One's a little bit more generalized, one more specific and targeted. So the specific and targeted one is what I did to get my start was in getting published in, in or being cited in other works 
was there's a service called Help a Reporter Out. I don't know if you guys have it up in Canada, but uh, or if it extends into Canada. But in the U.S., we have this uh, service called H-A-R-O, Help a Reporter Out. And basically anyone who's writing an article for a publication of varying sizes, it could be a small publication, it could be a nationwide one, and they need expert sources for their articles on a particular topic, will go to the service and put their topic in, whatever. And then when you sign up to be a, a reference for this site, you can choose the category if you want lifestyle and fitness only, or if you want technology or business or whatever. So this is true whether you're a fitness professional or just any other industries too. It will send you an email three times a day with a list of article ideas or topics. And then, so that's how I got started as I signed up for this. I saw, I found ones that were relevant to things that I could confidently talk about and actually provide some good insight in. And then you email essentially the author directly and you tell them, uh, or you basically write up a little email of, who you are and how you can help and stuff like that. And then they'll choose whoever they want. Um, and then they'll use you. Right. Or they won't. Yeah. Uh, the interesting thing is they don't always tell you if they use you. So that's why the other day we were talking and I make some, occasionally I'll Google myself just to see, cause I've had, like, I remember one of the first ones I got in was a USA today article, which is a pretty big nationwide publication here. And I sent it in. I didn't hear anything back, which is pretty customary. If they're not going to use you, not everyone's you know going to take the time to tell you they're not going to use you, especially if you get a lot of um, entries. But I was just randomly Googling myself a couple of days later, and there my name was in USA Today. And I was like, Pfft. right? And then from that, because in each publication you get in, then you can use that as a stepping stone to get into other publications. You can say then in your next email to your next pitch, hey, I'm so-and-so. This is what I do. I've been cited in this in this publication. I'd love to help you out with yours. Here's the answer to your question or whatever, right? And then that gives you more credibility, which then leads to more publications and more publications. So that's why I have so many is because each one I did, I was able to in turn use to get into more, right? Because it's just that social proof. If one of these authors sees that you've been cited in other big works, some of them bigger than the one they're writing for, they're more likely to use you than somebody who doesn't. Right. Well, kinda... that that's pretty understandable. I mean, it's just like anything. It's like easier to understand like the product that you're going to receive with somebody that happens to have like done the thing already, similar to how like in a job application, they're going to look for like an experienced candidate, somebody with a couple years, somebody with some experience under their belt. Um, with all the articles that you've done to this day, which one stands out to you the most and why? Ooh... That's a tough one. I, I got a couple of favorites. Um, I think probably one of my favorite articles to date is an article called Quit Overeating by Defining Your Happiness. And I wrote it in BreakingMuscle.com. Um, and that one was just, it's still, I think, one of the most relevant articles I've ever wrote. It's kind of, It's timeless in that sense that it's, you could read it. I wrote it four years ago, but it's as relevant now as it was back then. Uh, and it talks about how people tend to, particularly people who struggle with their eating and their health, tend to fall into the trap of using food to create their source of happiness and their source of pleasure, right? And we, though, basically our achievements, the things we accomplish in life, the things that are difficult, right? Graduating, 
having a business be successful, getting a certification, any of the big achievements that we have, right? Getting a promotion all require a lot of work. It's an achievement followed by long periods of hard, challenging work, and then another achievement, usually a higher, better achievement, right? And so we get this immense sense of satisfaction and pleasure when we accomplish one of those big goals. And then we're kind of on top of the world for a little while. And then it's temporary and it goes away because now it just gets normal. Right? So then we have to start the process over again. We got to do the challenging, hard, difficult work until we get to another accomplishment. That pleasure that we get from achieving a big accomplishment is chemically the same pleasure we get from eating something highly palatable, a really delicious, tempting treat that we love. The, the difference between the two, right, is food doesn't need long periods of tough, challenging work to get it again. We can get it like that, and boom, we got the pleasure again. We're back at it, right? And so it's easy for people to fall into the trap of just doing that over and over and over again, right? Especially like we were talking about earlier, if they're not really set on a purpose that they have for themselves, something big that they actually are passionate about working towards, whether it's professionally, personally, whatever, that then gives them reason to go through the challenging, tough, hard work to get to those big accomplishments. Both of those sense of accomplishment, achievement, or food are both temporary. Food pleasure goes away when you're done eating it. The accomplishment pleasure goes away eventually, days, weeks later, however long it takes for it to become normalized, right? Even though they're both temporary, the food pleasure, like we said, once it's gone, it doesn't come back until you do it again. The achievement pleasure, even though it goes away, we still can get a hit of positive emotion and pleasure when we think about it again. It's a form of nostalgia, right? So a good example for me is, you know, in 2018, I went to Spain to run with the Bulls. And that was like a hugely like crazy adventure for me. Gave me a lot of pleasure in the moment. But even now, when I recollect those memories that I have, it still gives me pleasure. I still feel good about it. I like sharing that story with people, right? I'm not going to sit here and tell you about that cookie I had yesterday because it's, you know, it makes me feel so great about myself. Right. So that article basically in a long winded way of saying that, hence why I'm practicing on shortening my writing is we can go for either form of pleasure. One is ultimately going to serve us better in the long run. Right. And we can't have those big achievements without the hard work in between. But if we can define what that is, what we're driven towards, then the temptation of getting our pleasure solely from food ceases to exist as strongly. That was deep. Like that, uh, my mind is blown. I mean, it's some good reflection for anybody. I mean, we'd be lying if, if we said that we don't like cookies or if we don't have like food that, you know, like you have something you haven't had in a while and it brings you good memories and stuff. But, but truly like the things that are worth accomplishing do take grueling effort and they uh they take some uh being able to put up with what might be difficult like having to have the capacity to just keep going and keep pressing forward um did you have any challenging times in the last 12 months where you kind of thought that you were ready to just like stop or when you needed somebody else's assistance or did it go pretty smoothly for you like what was it like for you it, you know, it's interesting as as a small business owner, 
you you learn that every day I wake up and I wonder whether I'm going to screw it up or not. Literally every day. It doesn't matter if things are going really, really well. It doesn't matter if things are going really crappy. It's a fear that's always there, right? And so in a lot of ways, I think that that can push you to work even harder towards things. Because then on some level too, once you accept that it's entirely within your control one way or the other, within reason, of course, obviously no one could have predicted a pandemic that closed everything. But you can always control how you're going to react and what you're going to do next, right? So there has to be a little bit of just... And it's, it's funny because I'm like one of the most easygoing people. I'm not easily ruffled. I don't get super strung out. I don't get super worried about things. Um, and part of the reason is just my experience over the past eight years or so of running this business. When, you know, when I started when I was 23, I didn't know anything. I had no idea what I was doing. I'm surprised I've made it this far, right? But you, I learned from those experiences that like stuff's going to happen. I'm not going to know what I'm doing. I'm going to have to figure it out as I go, right? It's like that entrepreneur analogy where entrepreneurship is jumping off of a cliff and building the plane on the way down, right? Like you just, once you accept that, that's just how it is. I think there's uh, an opportunity to let go of all of the things, right? Because at the end of the day, I know I'm going to do my hardest to control the things I have direct control over to push me forward. And the things that are outside of my control are going to have their effect, whatever that may be. And if I'm going to worry about that, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense because I can't do anything to change it anyways. Right? So I guess to answer your question, all the time do I have experiences where I feel like things are going wrong and also not very often. Kind of this melding of both. That's deep. I mean... You always have me with your dramatic pauses because I'm like, oh, is there more? And it's like, there is, there is more. Um, but to kind of like bring us back a bit, like we talked about what we were going to chat about on this episode. We we talked about like, okay, don't don't tell me what you've been up to as of late because it's like so many people's lives have been kind of on pause. But I mean, a few things that I can kind of like talk about here are the fact that like 2020 was the year when I really realized like how much people with like common, common, uh, energy, like common values. That's the word I was going for how much they can gravitate towards each other and support one another, regardless of geography, regardless of like whether you actually like physically have ever spent that much time with the person, like with the amount of video calls that we had in the past 12 months, and like the amount of just like bro afternoons like it was just cool to realize like how much people need to like lean on one another um and how much we can benefit from leaning on one another so i'm gonna get to the point here but the point is that you did something super cool and it involved dog sledding i want to hear about like what was the thought process that led up to that like what made you think that's what you wanted to do what did it feel like to finally do it? And uh, what what's your uh, your closing notes as far as having experienced it, having done it? What would you say to somebody else? Like, give me give me the full scoop, the entire journey here. It's something told me you were going to bring that up. It um, so at the obviously with everything twenty twenty brought. Let me back up a little bit. I have a bucket list, 
as I encourage everyone to have things I want to do before I punch my ticket on this earth, right? Now, a lot of people think of bucket lists as being certain things, right? Very grandiose, very big, out of this world stuff. And to some degree, those should absolutely be on your bucket list. But I also have things that are just things, small things that I've never done that I would like to be able to do. A good example is fly a kite. I've never flown a kite in my life. Um, don't judge me, Chris. I'm judging but, right now. <laughs> yeah, so, so I have things like that on there as well. I have places I want to see. I have things I want to do. Big, small, everything in between. And my goal over the past couple of years was what each year I want to try to cross some things off this list. I add things as I go, as I discover new things, but I also want to start now crossing things off. So running with the bulls in 2018 was one of them uh, to give you a sense of the obscurity of some of my bucket list items. One of them was not just to go to Italy, but to have a home cooked Italian meal in the countryside of Italy. And so we did that. We took a cooking class um, in these two gentlemen's home in Tuscany, Italy, where we cooked homemade pasta with them. We ate it with them on their terrace overlooking the hillside of, and it was fantastic. Best meal we had while we were there, hands down. Um, so going into the 2021, I knew that 20, um, I don't think I crossed anything off of 2020 naturally, but 2021, I was like, all right, I need to get back to crossing things off this list. What am I going to do? International travel is kind of out of the question because we don't really know what's going on with that. We're still really not able to travel very many places, uh, nor is it probably the best idea to. So what are some things I could do a little bit more locally? And so dog sledding was one of the things on my list. It's kind of different. It's adventurous. I wanted to do it. And when most people think dog sledding, they think a couple of things. They think Alaska. They think Canada. That's kind of it, right? Now, to go to Alaska or Canada, that's a pretty big trek. That's a, that's a, that's a, that's a trip, right? With a lot of logistics, a much longer trip than, than otherwise. But I was kind of thinking to myself, I'm like, this was, you know, was probably in December. And so December in Michigan is, is cold and it's snowy. And I was like, what about Michigan? Like we have snow, we have dogs. I'm sure somebody's dog sledding, right? So I Googled it and I found there's like half a dozen places that do dog sledding excursions in michigan um so i booked uh coincidentally on valentine's day my girlfriend and i we went up to the up the upper peninsula of michigan um where there was a place that ran dog sled tours uh and it was perfect because it was a, a short trip we drove up on the afternoon on a saturday we spent the night we had the first excursion a 10 mile trek on the dog sled which took us two and a half hours because these dogs will run and we were done by 11.30, five-hour drive back home. We were back Sunday evening, right? So my girlfriend didn't have to take any vacation time. It was easy for me to fit it on my schedule. It was just one night and done. And it was a phenomenal act. It was far cooler than I thought it was going to be, literally and figuratively, because I actually booked it on the coldest day of the year. It was, The high was seven degrees Fahrenheit that day um, that we did this tour. But... It was just like the coolest thing ever. The, just to see the athletic prowess of these dogs, their ability to just run and their ability, to, like they're just incredible animals, well-trained, very athletic. And the thing that probably surprised me the most was how peaceful it was because it was silent and you're just cruising through the woods. The only thing you hear is the buckles on the dog's collars 
and you're just cruising. So definitely recommend it to anyone. Um, if you live anywhere that's got snow at any point in time of the year, I bet you there's dog sledding somewhere close within reasonable distance. So you could look it up. I'm sure they do excursions. Definitely do it. Pull I mean, trigger. most of this show's audience uh, should be good to go. <laughs> like, that's a good point. <laughs> I mean, I've got listeners from all over the place, but last time I checked, there's a lot of listeners from Alberta. Canmore does dog sleigh uh, rides and stuff like that. Like, the only thing that uh makes me wonder more about the whole thing is like i wonder like how much balance those dogs have like are those dogs pretty burnt out but like i won't i won't dive too much into that rabbit hole it's just like it's something that popped into my head but i'm just gonna brush past it right away here um, well, i'm gonna address that okay I think it's a, a lot of people that i tell this story to are that's their first question is but like how are the dogs you know um, so obviously I can only give my own experience at one of these places, but a couple of things to keep in mind. One, the dogs are very well taken care of. And I think there's a lot of mis, uh, misconceptions about the dogs themselves, right? Cause one thing in particular is the dogs sleep outside. Now, when it's really, really cold, that seems really mean because you're like, they gotta be cold. There's a lot of dogs that just function better outside than they do inside. Like they overheat inside, like breed specific yeah. dogs. And so, so dog sledding dogs, mainly Siberian and Alaskan Huskies and Malamutes, are their coats are designed to so they can withstand temperatures of negative fifty degrees Fahrenheit. So when it's seven degrees Fahrenheit, they're comfortable. They're not cold. Right. And oftentimes, you know, you see if you go on TikTok or Instagram reels or whatever, you'll often see funny videos of people who own huskies and they and when the snows, they will not come inside. They're like, nah, I'm good. I want to be out in the snow. Right. The other thing to keep in mind, too, is that the dogs are athletes. Right. I remember our guide was telling us this when he was teaching me how to drive the sleigh. He said, listen, because the only thing you have to do to control the speed is put your foot on the brake. Because he said, these dogs have one speed as fast as they can forward, right? And so it's interesting because they, like, they, and this is true of anyone who's owned a Husky in their home. If you don't give them enough activity, they will go crazy. They will tear up your house because they need to get that energy out, right? And so the way I think about it is, like, me, if someone tried to prevent me from working out on a day, like, I would lose my mind. I'd be like, no, let me go. Let me go. Like, I want to do it, you know? So... In that regard, it doesn't seem to me like they're being um, like forced to do it. Like they want to do it. This is this is what they do, you know. The other thing that's important that I, that settled with me very well is how a sled dog retires. Are you familiar with how a sled dog retires? I my my experience with it might be different than yours. So let's hear what you know about the whole experience. So in in my experience, and from what they were telling us which I guess as a consumer of their product, it could be a little misleading, but basically two ways that a dog retires. One is if they get injured, if they can't run anymore, or if they have some medical condition that prevents them from being able to, to run or do that level of activity. Uh, and it's my, um, I believe that the life of a sled dog in terms of their like competing and running, not their actual life is about eight or nine years dog runs and then it's got an additional seven years or so of life where they're retired 
or so they either have an injury or a medical condition, or they just kind of wake up one day and they decide I'm good. I don't want to run anymore. Right. And you could tell, cause they get a very, like, I don't want to be chained up. I don't want to run. They'll, they'll kind of slack a little bit. They're like, no, I'm good. Right. Um, so that again, your experience may differ and I'm kind of curious to hear how it does. Um, at least for me was settling like, okay, they can like have some say in what's going on. Right. They're not just being run to the bones. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I actually went to Alaska as a little kid. And so we got to kind of see some of the, the dog sledding places and we didn't, I think we might've tried it out. I can't even remember all the things we did and what we just kind of like checked out, but it was definitely fun. Like it's, I recommend the experience and in that instance it was just like kind of a ragtag group of dogs that just they brought out all these dogs together they could work together pulling the the dog sleigh and it worked out quite well and so it's kind of like you're just giving them something to do they're doing it they're having fun putting in a workout so it completely lines up with with your experiences there and then I've seen a few of the the dog sledding um companies or whatever that go through cameras or not cameras canmore not cameras um canmore alberta uh and it was just cool to uh to see just how fast they are and how athletic they are so i i can see that it's kind of like it's very similar to how when people aren't able to access the gym like what happens to them so if it's like if this dog is used to like putting in like a solid workout and then all of a sudden they can't, I could see how that would impact things. And then just like, yeah, like when, when somebody is operating a business where like they're taking the best care of these dogs and they're giving them the best food and they're giving them this solid structure and routine to help with their, their health. Like, like everything, like all businesses, there's going to be ones where it's like, okay, they're just like, burning out these these creatures um just kind of like running them to their wits end um maybe not the best conditions maybe not the best food all these other things like there's always going to be a full spectrum but in the instances where it is just like yeah we're just we are all enjoying the experience we're all putting in the work um this specific breed of dog is like ideal for these conditions and when it does not want to do this in the morning we we listen and we kind of let it live out its years in ways that that suit what that dog actually wants to do like it's like not like they're being forced into it we ended up going off on quite the tangent but uh well, I'll say one other thing about it because i think this is important to recognize too and it's something that oddly like i didn't even think about until i was like with these dogs is if you think about all the different breeds of dogs that there are which all of them are human intervention to create right? Some of them worse off than others. Like if you think of a bulldog who we've literally smushed their face in so much that they can't breathe well, just because we wanted them to do a job or have an aesthetic. And then you look at Malamutian Huskies, which are literally of all dog breeds, the least human intervened breeds, right? They're the closest to their original wolf ancestors. To me, the fact that they've been the least changed, obviously they've been domesticated, so they're not, you know, dangerous or, or whatever. And in some ways they've been bred to want to run more and to be more active and to, you know, have more energy and be faster and, and things like that. But the fact that they are 
much less influenced by humans is I think something that's pretty important too. Right? Yeah, that that's a solid point too. And it's, it's a, a cool point that you bring up and just how, how dynamic the types of dogs that are out there are like just how some people will pick a dog for an appearance. And then you think about it and it's like, wow, like it took like generations of selection of dogs to come up with that dog with that appearance. Um, it's relatable to the whole like uh, area of wellness in the sense that uh, sometimes we have to take a step back and think about, okay, like what do our parents, how do our parents perform? What do our parents look like? What are our parents' uh, tendencies and strengths and weaknesses? Because that's going to have some relation to us if it's coming down to genetics as far as like what's going to come easily, what's going to be challenging, what uh, what we're probably going to look like. Like there's a running joke within the industry that like if you hang around basketball players as a short person you're not going to be all of a sudden a tall basketball player regardless how you're trying to surround yourself with like uh people of a certain ability and so it transfers over to like strength capacity and just uh our body's response to different elements and food sources and stuff like uh, I don't go too far into the weeds with things as far as like nutrition in the sense that if you are having vegetables and uh, an abundance of protein sources and staying hydrated, you're going to be in the clear. Now, some people aren't going to be able to have certain vegetables. Some people aren't going to be able to have certain protein sources and some people's um, sources of hydration are going to be different based on like preference and and stuff like that like some people are going to like cold water some people are going gonna like warm water and that's just the way she goes but at the end of it all like you can't expect yourself to look like completely different from your parents or your siblings there's going to be some resemblance and your lifestyle choices can definitely kind of like pave the path for the outcome that you have but um i'm never going to be like super tall, like LeBron or, um, super speedy, like an Olympian. Like I'm, I'm going to be like somewhere in the middle because like my parents weren't professional athletes, but there's going to be things that I am good at because like in, in general population, there's things that like my parents, just like anybody else's parents were kind of one of the better ones in their room at. And it's, it's an interesting anecdote and it's another rabbit hole that we went on. Um, I'm going to get us back, like dialed in back on track here. So having gone on that little adventure of yours, that was one of your bucket list things. What are two bucket list things that are on your mind at this moment, at this very moment? And you're like, okay, these are the two things that stood out and why do they stand out to you? That is a good question. What are two things that stand out to me in this moment? I guess probably one of them is because in thinking about what my next international trip was going to be, there's a, a hike in Norway. So my family's Norwegian. There's a hike in Norway. I say that, but I've literally never been there, nor has anyone in my immediate family. But that's neither here nor there. Definitely not there. In Norway, there's a hike that leads to this cliff overlook called pulpit rock is what it's famously known as that has this tremendous view of like the valley and the mountain range and this giant river that just runs through it and it literally looks like the the best example i can give is like pride rock from the lion king 
it literally looks like that. And of course it's Europe. So there's no, there's no safety nets. There's nothing like around the edges of this thing. It's literally just a rock cliff go at your own risk kind of thing. And so that is one of the, actually the top items on my, on my bucket list and uh, potentially one of my next or my next rather international trip to do that. Why that's on my mind, probably just because obviously being cooped up for the past year, like I want to be able to travel like that again. And especially the, the overwhelmingly wonderful experiences I've had in all facets on my last two international trips to Spain and Italy. I just want that again. I want that culture shock. I want that sense of adventure and exploration. Um, so that's definitely one of the ones on the top of my mind. And then probably the other one is flying a kite because we just talked about it. But also it's one that I could easily just go to the supermarket and spend 30 bucks to get a kite and do it like tomorrow if I wanted to. Like what happened to you that you never flew a kite? Like what what made you so busy that flying a kite didn't come up or what was missing? What was the missing ingredient? It never interested me as a kid, to be honest. I mean, I was obviously, so I was, I've never been, I played sports as a kid, but I was never excited about it. Even to this day, I hate watching sports on television. My girlfriend makes fun of me because she, she comes from a big football family. So they're big into it. And I'm just like, I don't want to spend three hours of my weekend watching people play a sport. I'd rather go outside and play the sport than watch other people play the sport kind of thing. Um, even though I can understand before people give me uh, stuff about it, the beauty and watching professionals do it at such a high level. Like I can appreciate that. Um, the same way that I can think it's amazing to watch someone break a deadlift world record. Right. I still don't want to sit around and watch them for three hours, but I get it. But I was never into sports. So I was never like outside doing that. I was really inactive as a kid. This was kind of like the booming age of video games too. So that kind of sucked me in. And, and so it was just never like, it was never a thing. I don't know. I don't think either of my brothers have flown a kite either, to be honest with you. Well, I guess to give you some perspective or just at least share my story. I mean, when I was a kid growing up in the country, like sometimes there's like nothing to do. And it, it kind of relates to the idea of like, not worrying so much about what you're dealt and worrying more about how you respond to it. Like windy day, can't really go for a bike ride, can't do all kinds of things. Things are blowing all over the yard, but you can take like a piece of like um, really cheap fabric and some sticks and a piece of string and you can watch that thing fly like crazy. And then it's just like, it was always cool because every time we would fly a kite, like, my parents would get these kite kits and oftentimes we'd end up having to go through and get a new kite. Like we'd have a kite that would last like maybe like five or six attempts. And then we'd have to uh, upgrade our kite because like, I mean, there's going to be some obvious wind damage. You might lose it, get stuck to a tree, all kinds of other things. But just how simple it was to kind of like start that process and follow through with it amidst it being an otherwise like bad day like how things wouldn't have necessarily been ideal for so many other things but we looked at our situation looked at our environment and found a way to capitalize on it so that's like a cool analogy for people who might be in doom and gloom right now in like the beginning of 2021 expecting expecting to be able to travel expecting to uh, cross things off their bucket list and not being able to um 
when it's windy, you can fly a kite. Um, when it's uh, when the economy isn't going your way, you can find the industries to which the economy is going that way. There's always opportunity. You just have to be looking for it. Um, to kind of get us onto our our path that we are traveling here on this show, there since your last appearance on the Lifestyle Chase, I have been having my guest give the audience a challenge for the day. Now, you might be familiar with this. You might have been prepared, but you might not be. And for that reason, I am rambling a little bit to give you some time to think in your head of what challenge you would give my audience that is unique to you, but is not is not so much that they'll forget what you said, just uh, finite and, and concise enough that it might change how their week goes. It might completely change the outcome of the month of March for, for the listeners. So whenever you're ready, you're going to say your challenge for the day is, and then you're just going to give it to them. Oh, well, I got to jump right. Can I give some context afterwards? Oh yes. Yes, you can. There's going to be an explanation. So my challenge for listeners today is to open up a piece of paper, journal, notepad on their phone, word doc on their computer, whatever they need. And they're going to write down three things that they did really, really well today or this past week. Could be anything. Could be they did the dishes really well. Like those plates sparkled like they've never sparkled before. Three things they did really, really well. And here's why. This all boils back to mindset, right? Because I think our mindset, first and foremost, is the lens that we put on to view the rest of the world. When we have an, it's basically the narrative, the stories we write for ourselves in our head about the stimulus we're experiencing, the sights, the sounds, the feelings, the emotions, the media, whatever it is, we experience this, that stimulus. And then we have to give it a story to give it meaning. So our mindset is essentially the flavor of the meaning that we give it. Negative mindsets with that lens, we're more likely to see all of the negative happening in our lives or more importantly, we're more likely to interpret the activities in our lives as being negative. This is true if there was an inconvenience at the grocery store, that person did it on purpose. It could be as far-fetched as someone giving us a compliment and us not really believing it because of that negative mindset. In turn, having a positive lens and a positive mindset allows us to write different narratives. We can see the positive in these exchanges whether it's the inconvenience at the grocery store or the compliment that we get. The interesting thing is once we start to recognize the positive, we start to write those positive stories, we start to see more positive in our daily life in all areas. And so this activity, this challenge that I'm giving you to write down three things you've done well is the first step to start if we're suffering from a negative mindset or if we could even just have a better, more positive mindset, it's going to start the process of taking off those negative glasses and putting on the positive ones. Because with that positive mindset, everything has a different tint to it, different shade. That's a little bit more color. I like that. Like, I mean, that's actually something people could do. Like, they could put that into action. And if they're having trouble thinking about, like, what are the three positive things, um, don't overthink it like keep it simple honestly like there's so many good things that can happen like 
um, for me, often what I reflect on is the fact that we, we had so much time to kind of like um, build each other up in our own respective careers and, and support one another as friends. And I think that's super awesome. And like, no matter what happens in our respective careers, like no matter what obstacles we have to overcome, we we have that uh, solid foundation. And so I would recommend other people find that within their careers, within their journeys. Like if you're trying to uh, make changes in your life and your fitness or your nu- nutrition, you got to be surrounded by some some semblance of like a a support system, like something where people got your back and you know it and you know it through the actions that they take and the things that you can be grateful for. We got another question for you. Are you ready? This one, you'll be familiar with this one. This one is if you could give one piece of advice to someone on how to live their life to the fullest, what would that piece of life or what would that piece of advice be? Ooh, that's a good question. That is a good question i am gonna say my piece of advice is to embark on the journey to be able to believe in yourself again because this creates the most fundamental idea behind what i try to instill in other people the thing that's most likely to lead to success in fitness, in our careers, in our personal lives, whatever it is, is a fundamental belief in ourselves that we are capable of that. A lot of people, too many people have let that belief go or have been wrongly convinced that they're not capable. That's deep. <laughs> well, it's just... It's so true. And something that I thought about recently was uh, how if you're surrounded by the right people, those people will probably believe in you more than you believe in yourself some days. Um, if the people around you believe in you less than you, maybe you need to reassess a few things. Uh, and it is like, absolutely. I hope people actually take your advice to heart. I think it's very helpful. Uh, my challenge for people listening to this, seeing as how this has been the first episode where we have live streamed the show, I do challenge people to go back and listen to episode 77, where we first had our uh, our, our interview together. It was like the probably the, the first time we have spoken at great length. Since then, we've uh, guest starred on several episodes of uh, Cool, Calm, and Chaotic with our friend Mark Zaret who you introduced me to, and it became one of the biggest bromances of this century. Um, so with all of that being said, I'd like to thank you so much for coming back on the show, for spending time with me today. How can the people find more about you? Where do you want them to go? We got uh, we always link your social media, but where else can they find you? Absolutely. Well, you can always, of course, like you said, find me on Instagram and Facebook, uh, but you can also read some of my articles. You can read more about me. I've got some free courses and some other free resources you can get at my website, which is ateamfit.com, A-T-E-A-M-F-I-T.com for all the good stuffs. And the beautiful thing is if they Google your name, like if they just literally Google Alex McBrarity, they're going to find a lot of good stuff, um, which is handy. You did a good, you did a good job of that. I know it's uh, those things don't happen by accident, 
Um, so again, thanks for joining me and that wraps up this episode. I appreciate you, Chris. Thanks for having me.